seated. And good morning. Welcome to Sovereign Grace Church. My name is Aaron. I serve as one of the elders here. On behalf of the entire church, I want to welcome our first-time guests and just thank you for joining us this morning. Hopefully get a chance to meet you after our service today. And if this is your first time and you are a guest and you don't know, we don't usually meet outside. We typically will meet inside in the gym, but they're uh, redoing the floors and those things look pretty good. We looked at them this morning. Uh, looks like they're about halfway done. I don't know. I'm not a good judge on that. but um, So we'll be continuing to meet outside for the next several weeks until the floor is done. But I do want to thank the rest of the church. Thanks for uh, being flexible. Thanks for being willing to meet out here. Today is probably the most human we've had, I guess, right, since we've been doing this. But I appreciate your uh, gratitude. appreciate your willingness to just continue to meet together with one another and um, allow for us to worship God together. Before we jump into First John this morning, I have a, a couple of announcements just want to share with you. Uh, one, something to be on the lookout for. So every year we kind of go through a cycle in our children's ministry, and that begins in August and it ends at the end of July. And what we do during June and July, and I say we, I mean Anita, who serves as our administrative assistant, she works really, really hard to make sure every school year goes as planned and we're able to sort of meet the things that we feel like God's called us to meet in regards to discipling the children in our church. And in order to do that, it honestly takes the entire church to pull that off. We need teachers and helpers who um, will commit to praying for these kids, will commit to uh, studying and preparing a lesson and then executing and teaching that lesson to the kids. And so it takes a, a number of volunteers to pull this off. And so Anita's in the process of um, putting that together, the sign-up. If you've been around, you know what that looks like. Every summer about this time, she sends something out and asks if you'd be willing to serve, um, commit for a year to serve in children's ministry. And so I just want you to know that's coming um, your way and just ask that you'd be praying. If you're not currently serving, in children's ministry, have a desire to teach. Um, all you got to do is let Anita know about that, but just please be praying about that, thinking about that, because that will be coming our way um, next. So we take June and July off um, for our community groups. We do this, to, everybody travels uh, during the summer, do it to give our community group leaders some rest. Um, but we're also, uh, we'll start back up here at the beginning of August, and if you don't know this already, um, what we're going to be doing in the fall is we're going to ask all of our community groups to be going through two types of material, um, either one on marriage or one on parenting. And so there's two parenting books by Dave Harvey uh, that has been recommended to your community group leader, and hopefully they've talked to you already about this and they've made a decision. Um, and then there's a parenting book by Paul Tripp, and then there's a parenting series on... Uh, DVD or video or streaming, however you want to say it, um, that we're going to be running those as well. And so we're, we're going to let you know which group is doing what um, in July. If you don't know that already, what's, what's going to be happening. But one of the reasons we're doing this is we're trying to make it our focus of just helping to equip us as a church in the area of family life. Um, and so we want to go through material like this. Uh, as a church so that we can grow as dads and moms or husbands and wives and just that we're doing this together as a church, looking at what God has called us to as 
men and women in the area of family life. And so that'll be kicking off in the fall. It'll only be the thing we're doing in the fall. Um, and one of the things we'll, we'll share as well is if your group's doing something on marriage and you want to do something on parenting because of the season of life you're in, this would be one of those opportunities to maybe join a different group for maybe just the fall so that you can go through that book together and uh, receive some of that training material. And so there'll be more information to come, but that's just what you can expect in the fall. Yeah. Singles ladies group. Yeah, and um, Phil's reminded me, Phil's another elder in our church. Um, So the other thing we're doing for the single ladies in the church, older ladies in the church, um, they're going to be having a singles group led by our uh, very own Anita Whalen. Um, And so she's going to be taking them through some material as well. Again, we'll get all this out in printed format. um, And our hope as well in July and the beginning of August is to give some more details on just sort of the plans of what life at Sovereign Grace Church is going to look like or what we believe God's calling us to for this next year, couple of years in, in front of that. But lastly, there is a ladies' event coming up on July 9th from 6.30 to 9.30 p.m. Um, it's called the Sunday Social, and it's going to be happening at, again, Anita Whalen's house. And so more details to come on that as well. Now, if you could, please open up your Bibles to First John chapter 5. And as you're doing that, how many people you like humidity? Kind of nice, right? Limbers you up. You get a little more flexible earlier. You get sweaty. Which you probably notice this. Just standing outside at about noon and there on, like you're just going to sweat a lot, right? It's the fun part of being in Georgia. It's a gift because it could be a lot colder. First John chapter 5. What I'd say about this while I was talking to other people about the humidity, and this has nothing to do with the message, is what I've learned is you just have to embrace it. You know, like it's just like you're going to go outside and you're going to work or you're going to go outside and just do anything. You just, you just embrace it. Just like I'm going to sweat. I'm going to sweat through everything I have on and just plan on being out there and enjoying that humidity. So First John chapter 5 is the last I'm going to say about that. I think I get a little crazy sometimes. First John chapter five, verses six through 12. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has born concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. And this, is it, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, I ask that you would just bless the preaching of your word, that you would take these words and you would sow them into our hearts, that you would help us to listen to this testimony, listen to your word and uh, believe it, to build a strong conviction that Jesus is the Son of God. Lord, that this would give us a greater assurance that you have saved us, that we indeed are your children, that we are loved by you, found in Christ, and that, Lord, this conviction would be lived out in the ways in which we interact with one another, the ways in which we interact with this world, and just all the things that we do, that we would have this confidence that we are yours. Lord, would protect us. Lord, take scriptures like this and use them to protect us from the schemes of the evil one. Protect us from our own sin, Lord, our own propensity to just drift and wander off into other things like just loving this world. Lord, we, we want to stay near Christ. Lord, we want to know Jesus better. We want to pick up a cross and we want to follow Jesus more passionately and more faithfully. And so, Lord, would you take a text like this and sow it into our hearts that it might bear a lot of fruit, a lot of fruit today and for as long as we live. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. How many of you have ever been in a courtroom? Some of us have. Uh, I've been in the courtroom several times. I think the first time I was in a courtroom was maybe age 17. I'm not going to go into the details why, nothing necessarily horrible, but one time I was in a courtroom for jury duty, and I think I was around the age of 22, 23 years old, and they they called me to jury duty. This was in Virginia, and you sit and you meet in that room with all the other potential jurors, and they were looking for somebody for like a capital murder case or something like that, and so it was kind of a big deal, and I didn't want to do it. I don't think anybody really loves signing up for a week. I think you made, at the time, $25 a day to do that, so not work your regular job, but go do this. I understand it's a, it's a great opportunity. It's a service we, we get to do. Um, anyways, as I was sitting in this room, they called me out individually, and they just said, are you Aaron Anderson? Yeah, I'm Aaron Anderson. Can you come with us? And so I went into the courtroom. It's the weirdest thing, especially looking back on it. And so I'm sitting in the juror's box by myself, and they're just trying to figure out, is this person the guy we want to be sitting on this with the jurors to make the decision for this young man's life. And as I was sitting in the box, I had no idea was really what was going on. And the guy who was being accused of this crime was sitting there as well with his lawyer. And then they just started asking me a bunch of questions. And the judge was asking me a bunch of questions. Is this your name? Is, where do you live? Have you ever lived in New York City? No, I haven't. Do you know anybody that lives in New York City? No, I haven't. And so come to find out, I was in there doing that because there was sort of this identity thing going on. Was was I the right Aaron Anderson? I guess there's a bunch of them out there in this world. And they probably had a problem with a certain one. And so needless to say, I I didn't get picked to be on that uh, juror for that case. But I've been in the courtroom and... I've watched Matlock. Anybody ever watch Matlock? So our older generation has watched a little Matlock. I grew up watching Matlock because my dad loved Matlock, and I recently watched it because he came into town, and sure enough, he's watching old reruns of Matlock. And the reason I, I just share that with you is because today, I want you to just think about being in a courtroom. It's kind of where John takes us 
in this passage of scripture. He takes us into the courtroom and he sort of calls out these key witnesses to uh, testify to the truth that Jesus is the son of God and the only way the only way to salvation. And so he he hauls out these witnesses who are going to testify to the truth about who Jesus is. And the reason he does this, you got to remember, if you just look at the very next verse, I think it's 13, where he just tells us the reason he's writing this letter so that we might know that we believe in Jesus, that we would have this assurance that we indeed are children of God, that we indeed are believing in the right person for our salvation because he doesn't want us to live out our faith in this world with some doubts that kind of carry us away into other things that would lead us away from Jesus Christ. He wants all of his readers to live out their faith with a confidence and a joy that they truly been born again and they're truly loved by God and we truly have eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. And so he, he writes this portion of the letter to kind of give us some, some convictions, some strong convictions about who Jesus Christ is so that when doubts come in or when somebody comes in and, and tries to kind of lead us away from Christ or we're tempted to just drift away, we have these sort of core truths about Jesus to remind our hearts and remind our minds that Jesus is who God says he is. And that when trusting in him as the son of God, by faith alone in him, we, we receive salvation. And so John takes us into this courtroom, so to speak, and he, he pulls out these witnesses. And here's what we're going to learn. Christians can be confident that Jesus is the son of God because God has provided several witnesses that testify to his divine nature, which gives us all hope and assurance that we are truly saved by faith alone in him. So we're going to learn this truth by taking a look at sort of six witnesses that John brings out for us this morning. The first witness that John calls to the stand is water. Water. Or in this case, Jesus' baptism. Verse 6, he says, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. Again, the baptism of Jesus is, is so important. It's so important that it's recorded for us in all four of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record the baptism of Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to read them for you because John's calling it forward. He's saying the word, the word testifies something about who, I'm sorry, the water testifies something about Jesus Christ. So, so what does it testify to? So Matthew 3.13, he writes like this. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. 
And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is kind of important. You're going to hear this a lot in this, in these next couple gospel recordings of it. He said this, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Mark wrote about it in this way. This is Mark 1 verse 9. He said, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Luke records it like this in Luke three twenty one. Now, when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a, a what? A dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. And then John wrote about it in this way. This is John chapter one, starting in verse twenty nine. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a, like a dove, and it remained on him. And I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I've seen and I've borne witness that this is the Son of God. So Jesus' water baptism, what it does is it marks the beginning of his earthly ministry, and it identifies him for all to see that he was no ordinary man. No ordinary man. But instead, he was the son of God. So if you were there that day, what you'd see is you'd see a bunch of people getting baptized, and a lot of people just kind of getting baptized and coming out of the Jordan and making their way to the shore and just, just being like everybody else. But... When Jesus was baptized, things were different. The heavens were opened, or as one of the gospel writers said, torn open. The heavens were open, and the Spirit of God descended on him like a what? Like a dove. And God spoke, saying, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. So what does the water testify to? What does Christ baptism testify about him it testifies that he's the son of god not an ordinary man not not just a good teacher who could do some good things he was the son of god who came to earth fully god fully man and god declared to all on that day who were present that this was my son with whom he was pleased and so the water tells us Jesus is the Son of God. The second witness that John calls to the stand is Jesus' death 
on the cross or his blood. Again, verse 6. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by the water and the blood. Again, the blood here represents Jesus' death on the cross for our sins. It's his crucifixion. His public ministry began with his baptism and it ended with his blood being poured out of his body as he hung on the cross being sacrificed as payment for our sins. In the Gospels, we also learn a lot about Christ's crucifixion, his death on the cross for all of our sins. In Matthew 27, he tells us that there was darkness across the land as Jesus hung on the cross and died. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had died were raised to life. And these same people came out of their tombs and went into the city and appeared to many people after Christ's resurrection. And then the centurion, the guards who were standing there watching Christ die on the cross, as they were paying attention to what was happening and taking in all that was going on, they, they made this declaration about Jesus. The centurion said, truly, truly, this was the Son of God. Again, Jesus was not just a really special person. He was not just an ordinary man. He was better than just a good teacher who could attract large crowds. He was the Son of God who came into our world to live a perfect life in our place. And that's exactly what he did. He lived a perfect life, never having sinned in any way so that so that he could be sacrificed on a cross as payment for all of our sins. And this sacrifice was not a nice death. It was a brutal death. Remember, John, John's calling the blood in to testify to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. He was whipped to the point that the flesh on his back was barely hanging on him. He was beaten so bad that you could barely recognize him. He had nails driven through his hands and his feet, pinning him to the cross. And then he was lifted up for all to see as he died a slow death, as all the blood flowed out of his body. Daniel Atkin, in his commentary, wrote the following. He said, the cross says that the king of heaven has come down and that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. The cross of Christ, the blood of Christ, the death of Christ testifies to the fact that Jesus is the son of God, that he came to die for us to be an atoning sacrifice for all of our sins so that we might be saved, that we might be declared righteous, that we might be changed, that we might receive eternal life. The cross testifies to the fact, the blood of Jesus testifies to the fact that he indeed is the Son of God. This leads us to the third witness that John calls to the stand, and that's the Holy Spirit. Verse 6 says the following, this is 6b, so the second half of it. 
And the Spirit is the one who testifies. The Spirit is the one who witnesses. The Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. So the Spirit doesn't just tell the truth. The Spirit is the truth because the Spirit is God. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. So the Holy Spirit does many things. Does many things. The Holy Spirit empowers us as believers to honor and glorify God. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts so that we can gather together and glorify God and live life together in a context of the local church using those gifts to serve one another and build one another up. Those gifts are on display this morning. Some more publicly in the way in which they're leading us in worship. Some are using a teaching gift back there. Some have an administrative gift. There's a lot of helping gifts. There's, there's just a ton of different gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to all of God's children that are meant to be used to glorify God and build one another up. And so the Spirit does this. The Spirit also works in us Christ-like character. And so we grow in this character as the Spirit empowers us and the Spirit's at live in us doing these things. But one of the primary things that the Spirit does is bear witness to the truth about Jesus, who he is and what he has done for us to save his people from their sins. In John 15, verse 26, Jesus teaches us about the Spirit. He says, but when the Helper comes, the Helper is the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. This is what the Spirit does. The Spirit bears witness about Jesus. In many ways, the Holy Spirit is, is always testifying. It's always in that courtroom, on the stand, telling the truth about who Jesus Christ is. If you believe in Jesus today and you confess him to be your Lord and Savior, it's because the Holy Spirit has opened up your eyes to see, opened up your minds to understand who he is, and then your heart to receive Christ as your Savior. The Spirit does this. John MacArthur writes the following. He says, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth in that he is true and therefore the source and revealer of divine truth, particularly about Jesus Christ. The spirit was involved at Jesus' conception, baptism, temptation, and throughout his ministry. Jesus always did the will of the Father in the power of the spirit. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the revealer of divine truth. The Holy Spirit, along with the water and the blood, the baptism of Christ and the death of Christ, are all testifying, all bearing witness to the truth about Jesus, that he is indeed the Son of God who came into this world to die on a cross for all of our sins so that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but instead receive eternal life. The Spirit is testifying to that, bearing witness to these truths. David Allen, in his commentary, wrote the following. He said, God, the Holy Spirit, draws you to Jesus and teaches you the spiritual truth of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's his job to press to your heart the truth of these things. So if you believe today, 
It's not because you chose to believe. It's because the Spirit has been at work in you, has revealed Jesus to you, and has enabled you to believe. And if this is true, then I think it means some things for us. It means a lot of things, but I just want to share a couple things. I think one thing it means is that we can't save ourselves. We need the Holy Spirit to give us this divine revelation to see our need for Jesus and then to soften our hearts and minds to believe in Jesus. We need more and more of the Spirit in our lives to help us grow in our faith so that we can continue to love God and one another. We need the Spirit. We need the Spirit to be at work in us so that when we open up God's Word, we, we can know God more rightly or more truly as the Spirit reveals the truth to us. We need the Spirit to help us draw near to God. And we need the Spirit to help us to faithfully pick up a cross, deny ourselves, and follow Jesus. The Spirit does this. One of the things I'd say is if you find yourself in, in dry moments, and we all do, if you find yourself in, and your faith seems to sort of be waning, what I, what I would encourage you, one of the prayers I'd be encouraging you is, is just asking God to fill you afresh with His Spirit. That His Spirit would empower you to do the things He's called you to. That His Spirit would, would open your eyes to see Jesus more clearly so that you might love Him more passionately. It also means that we can't save others. If we can't save ourselves... And we need the Spirit to reveal Christ to us and then give us the faith to believe, then, then it also means that we can't save others. We can't save others. We can faithfully go out into the world and seek to make as many disciples of Jesus Christ as the Lord would allow for us to make by teaching everyone around us about Jesus and all that He commanded us. But at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit has to open up their minds and hearts to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. This is why parenting can be so hard and frustrating at times, isn't it? Because we can disciple our kids. We can read our Bibles to our kids. We can teach them about Jesus. We can bring them to church. We can send them to youth ministry. You can send them off to a camp. You can meet with them every Monday morning where you go through various things and you try to teach them about Jesus over and over and over again. But the one thing you can't do is you can't go into their hearts and you can't make them alive. You can't make them believe in Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the revealer of truth. The Holy Spirit is the one that testifies and ultimately gives faith to believe in Jesus. And so, one of the things we do as parents, and I would encourage us as parents, is, is we continue to disciple our kids because God's called us to do that. We, we disciple by faith. We teach by faith. We train in faith the things and the ways of the Lord. And then in faith, that same faith, we pray for our kids. And we trust that God is kind. We trust that God is good. We trust that God is gracious. And we ask him to save our kids. And it's not just true of our kids, it's, it's true of every unbeliever that God gives us the opportunity to preach the gospel to. See, we can't save those people, but we're called to go to them. We're called to be his witnesses. We're called to make disciples. And so we do those things. It doesn't mean we don't do those things. We, we do those things in faith, and this should encourage us, right? So we go and make disciples knowing this truth. 
Well, what's that truth? The truth that the Holy Spirit testifies about Jesus. The truth that we go and we proclaim the gospel through evangelism and through discipleship, not in our own strength. We go knowing that the Spirit is at work, that the Spirit is revealing Christ to the world around us as we get the opportunity to proclaim Christ. And so we do the same thing as we do in our parenting. We, we continue to make disciples. And we continue to trust the Lord, understanding that he's the one who saves, that the Spirit is the one who's going to open eyes. And so if you're, if you're hanging out with unbelievers and you've been reaching out to an unbeliever, I just encourage you, continue to do that. Continue to read God's word with them. Continue to tell them about Jesus and pray for them. I'd also encourage you, invite your friends, invite the church into praying for those people, asking God to save them. The fourth witness that John calls to the stand is God the Father. In these next two verses, John sort of uses the lesser to greater argument to prove his point. Verse 9, he says, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has born concerning his son. So if we listen to and believe the people in our life about the things that they're talking about, then why in the world would we not listen to and believe the things God speaks to us about through his word? That's kind of what he's saying here. He's just pointing out the obvious. You turn on the news and you believe the talking head who's speaking to you. You listen to your mom and dad, and and you believe what they're saying to you. You listen to your boss, and you believe what he's saying to you, whoever it might be. You, You listen to them. You listen to people. That would be the lesser. And his encouragement, if you listen to them, then surely, surely you should listen to God. Because he's greater. Because he's God. Because he's the creator of the universe, because he's the almighty, because he knows all things, because he holds this thing together, because your very life is dependent upon him and his mercy and his grace. God's much greater than the people around us. His words matter far more than anything one of those talking heads could tell you or any podcast that you could ever listen to or any book that you could read. God's words are far more valuable because they're his words. And what he tells us is that Jesus is his son. He's the Messiah. He's the anointed one. He's the one whom he sent to live that perfect life and to die that sacrificial death, paying the full penalty for all of your sins, exhausting the wrath of God, so that if you believe in him, so that if you trust him, you might receive his righteousness. You might receive eternal life. The testimony of God is greater than any other testimony in all the world. Daniel Atkin again wrote the following. He said, the father's witness concerning his son is singular and unique. Therefore, it demands a response from each and every one of us. Neutrality and indecision is not an option. In fact, to not believe that Jesus is the son of God is is not is to not believe God and to make him a liar because you have not believed in the testimony God has given about his son. The question we're left with here in regards to this testimony is who do you believe? Do you believe God and what he says about Jesus? 
Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that he lived a perfect life and died a sacrificial death on that cross for all of your sins and exhausted the wrath of God and was raised to life? See, there's, there's only two responses to this. That's what Daniel Atkins getting at there. there. There's only two responses. It's, yes, I believe the testimony of God about Jesus, or it's, no, I don't believe the testimony about God or about Jesus. There, there's no in-between. You see, any indecision, any neutrality is a no decision. It's making God out to be a liar. And so the testimony here that John puts forth as he sort of brings God to the witness stand is, do you believe? What decision have you made? based upon the evidence that has been put before you. If you believe, you receive eternal life. If you don't, you receive his wrath. The fifth witness that John calls to the stand is our own present-day confession of Christ. Verse 10, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony God has borne concerning his son. So Daniel Atkin again writes the following. He says, The internal witness of God's spirit in the heart confirms to the child of God that he or she was right to believe that Jesus is the son of God who alone gives the gift of eternal life. This internal testimony or witness is the personal presence of God in us. And it beautifully balances and complements the external and historical witness of the baptism and crucifixion of Jesus, all witnessed by the Holy Spirit. So this internal witness of the power and presence of God in us is a gift from God that brings with it a greater assurance that we indeed have been saved by God through faith in Jesus. This again is, is why we don't have to look back to a prayer we pray is kind of what John's getting at here. He's, he's got us in the courtroom and he's calling forth this testimony, not just God's testimony, but the testimony that, that resides in you because if you're truly saved, you, you have this testimony. The Spirit lives in you and it testifies to something. And so internally, there's this acknowledgement in regards to who Jesus is. And what John's trying to say is, if that's present in you, if you have this desire to know God through faith in Christ, if you have this love for Jesus in any way, it doesn't have to be like on fire. I know a lot of us can go back to like, man, it's, at that moment, there was this great passion. What I'm going to say, as you live out your life as a believer, sometimes it's like this in regards to your passion. Sometimes the Lord actually walks us through some dry moments to teach us a few things that we might learn to depend upon him, or that we might just learn to have some strong convictions in regards to who Jesus is that sort of balance those seasons out, that we have to remind ourselves by talking to ourselves every single day that this is who Jesus is. And so if there's this inclination, if there's this desire to love Jesus, that's the testimony that resides in you, and it should bring us assurance and so we don't have to look back and say, yeah, I was baptized back in, Ricardo, when were you baptized? 1816. 
long time ago. Just kidding, Ricardo. Point is, you can look back, and that's meant to encourage us, and it builds us up. But what John's saying is, is it there today? And if it's there today, be encouraged. If you love Jesus, if you can say in your heart of hearts today that I love Jesus and I've surrendered my life to Jesus and I'm going to follow Jesus by faith, John would say, that's the testimony that resides in you. Let it build up your faith. Let it help you keep moving forward, trusting in Christ as you live out your life by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. The final witness that John calls to the stand is eternal life. Verse 11 and 12. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. So when you think about eternal life, a lot of times we think about it just in the category of like, we're just going to live forever. We just have this life that has unending years to it and we get to really enjoy it once we get to heaven and so it's sort of this just forever life with God but it's more than that eternal life is is more than just an unending life eternal life is a quality of life that we receive as believers the moment we first believe we receive this eternal life And Jesus sort of defines this eternal life for us in John 17. Here's what I mean by quality. Eternal life is this. It's knowing God. This is John 17, 3. It's it's knowing God personally. It's having a right relationship with God where we get to enjoy him as our heavenly father. We get to draw near to him. We get to be led by him. We get to submit to him. We get to embrace him and his ways and enjoy the sweet communion with him. And so it's, it's not just an unending life. It's a quality of life whereby we get to be God's children. And we don't wait until we get to heaven to experience that. We experience it the moment we first believe in that eternal life. It too is testifying to the truth that Jesus is the son of God. He makes us alive. By faith in him. You see, apart from Christ, what John is saying here is is we're just dead in our sins. Whoever does not receive Christ, if you do not have the Son of God, you do not have life. You don't possess this eternal life. You're you're dead in your sins. You can look up Ephesians chapter 2 to read all about that. If you don't trust that Christ is the Son of God, Savior of the world, you don't have life. You don't, meaning, you don't, you don't know God. You get to live your life blind to God, who's, by the way, creator of all things, the one we're going to stand before in regards to judgment, the one who created us and knows how we should live. But, but if you don't trust Christ, you don't have that life. But if you do, you possess this life. You have it. And it testifies to the fact that Jesus is who God says he is. If you want eternal life, if you desire a hope in this world that brings peace to your soul and a confident assurance that you truly are saved, then John would say to us this morning, trust in and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Look 
to Jesus. And so again, remember, this is about assurance in some ways. And and he's just put all these witnesses in front of us. And it it just seems very technical. And it is. And I would say in in many ways, sometimes we we want an experience. We want to wake up and, and we want to feel something. And I'm not knocking experience because I think when you follow the Lord, you experience that. I think the Spirit brings great joy. Spirit does a lot of things in us, and we work towards being able to live life with great joy and great passion following the Lord. But, but I think what we have here from John through these technical sort of witnesses that are just sharing these truths about Jesus, just these reminders that he's the Son of God, is in some ways we sort of have this plan How do we fight doubt? How how do we walk through those moments when we feel uncertain? You say, you go back to the truth. You you don't look to an experience back here. You you look to who Jesus is. You remind yourself that, no, he's real. He was baptized in the water. The heavens were opened. Spirit descended on him like a what? And God declared, this is my son. Everybody saw it. And then, and then we remind ourselves that, that there was a cross, there was a crucifixion. That he didn't just come to be baptized and live this great life. He came, was baptized, lived this life, and he died a death on the cross for us. His blood was poured out. And his blood testifies that he's the son of God. He really died. Exhausted the wrath of God. Listen, we all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all deserve God's wrath. But Christ exhausted it on the cross. He was our payment. So that God's wrath would be satisfied. So that we might experience God's mercy. We remind ourselves of those things. And sometimes it's just like that. It's just a talking to yourself. This is who Jesus is. This is what he's done. I may not feel it, but it doesn't matter because this is true. And I trust in him alone for the forgiveness of all my sins. I trust in him alone for life. Life today and life in the future. So what do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is who God says he is? Do you believe today in your heart of hearts that he's the savior of the world, the son of God, who lived and died in your place? And if you do, be encouraged. Walk away with great assurance. Thank the Lord for that. And if you don't, I want to encourage you to believe. I want to urge you, in light of these witnesses, to believe God and ask Him to save you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, and we ask that you'd pour out your Spirit upon us as we leave here. That you leave us with just great joy in knowing, God, that you have so 